Hi, everybody. This is Pete Worrell, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Positive Enterprise Value Podcast. The podcast is a piece of IP that we freely share with entrepreneur, owner, managers, and their advisors who want to build their enterprise value and possibly create a capital gain someday. The idea is that we're able to look in the mirror as entrepreneurs and learn from the experience of others. What do you do when you graduated from college and thought about becoming an airline pilot? Your girlfriend thought about becoming an air traffic controller, and it turns out your mom got terminally ill and you returned home to help your dad in his business. I am so excited to share the learnings with you of Chad Belinsky and his life partner and business partner, Kim Bergeron. They are two of the smartest and most accomplished entrepreneur owner managers you could possibly meet. And some of the fun of this uh, terrific uh, podcast interview where they were incredibly generous and candid with me, uh, some of the fun of it is uh, to be able to share their differing points of view in terms of tactics, while I think you'll hear what I heard, which is they share the same point of view in terms of values. Chad and Kim recently completed a super successful recapitalization of their business, Marco Rubber, with Align Capital Partners. Align is a majority owner of the business going forward and will help Marco to continue to build out its a uh, technology platform, which is unlike any other in the industry, to be able to provide elastomeric ceiling products and possibly even more products to a wide variety of industrial and commercial end users. The idea of the recap was that Chad would be able to spend his time focusing on really being what my term would be chief technology officer, thinking about the issues that customers have and solving their uh, issues through the use of technology. And Kim would be able to transition out of the business because she was uh, at the point in her life where she felt like bringing in a new CFO would be helpful to Marco. And she had other things she wanted to do uh, in her next chapter. Of course, we recorded this interview on April 19th, 2020, my birthday, uh, at the offices of Bigelow, um, sort of in the middle or hopefully sort of at the end of this uh COVID-19 virus uh, happening in the U.S. So what's happened to Kim and Ch Chad actually is that they have been welded even more to the business right now, wanting to make sure that the business succeeds and that Align Capital Partners succeeds with it. And so Kim has been working uh, harder than ever and Chad's been working harder than ever. And unfortunately, uh, probably for them, haven't been able to transition into the roles that they had so forward, uh, so much looked forward to and instead have had to sort of redouble their efforts on the things that they've been doing. I think what you'll find is that Chad and Kim will talk a little bit about the uh, beginning of the business and why they took the uh, route that they did with the business, some of the challenges in the business, including some of the uh, prior organization that had been hired by uh, Chad's dad and uh, how they represented quite a bit of resistance to moving towards uh, the technology uh, platform, uh, how they uh, managed to not only uh, be business partners, but managed to come home every night and talk about the business from their individual points of view over the past 25 years. So I had a ball in this interview. 
you can tell, I think, the world of Kim and Chad, and uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Here are Kim Bergeron and Chad Belinsky. So um, tell me something. So you both are very intentional. And like I was thinking about this this morning, as you think about where you are now, either in your life or your career, like how would you describe that? You probably have some goals in your life. I'm sure you do. And you, I mean, if like almost everyone, your goals sort of evolve, but also your career, your business ownership has been part of that. And now you've just come through this recapitalization transaction where I'm guessing that the future for your professional side has opened up and could look different than it has looked so far. So I just wondered how you thought of that. Oh, I mean, because of the timing, and yet we're pretty thoughtful and intentional, but at the same time, super hyper-focused and maybe not intentional in other areas. What, what do you mean by that? So even how we got into the business was an accident. Yeah, Tell me, why was that? I thought you went into the business to help your dad. Uh, well, <laughs> that was intentional, but not really intentional. It wasn't not super our choice as far as, hey, that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. It was more like the right things to do. And maybe that's even a better way that what we look of how we make our decisions of what is the right thing to do. And so when we started helping the business, that was really what we did. Oh, actually, I think we can help this business a lot more, me first, and then Kim join in thinking what's the right thing to do to how to make this better and how to make this better and how to make this better. And then just stay hyper-focused on that. Really have had blinders all the time. And so, so, so when was that? How many years are we talking about here? 20, for me. 20, so exactly 20? Yes. 2000, 2020? Uh, it yeah. was late, 99. late December 99 yeah. and to now. And you were a little before that, Chad? And I was 95. Five. Yeah, 25. Seems like a long time. But it doesn't, but it, but it doesn't. Yeah. I know, but it really was a blink of an eye. Okay, so I go back to my question, which is, so like, if you think about like your lives, were you married in 2000? Yes. Okay, so you think about your lives, and then you can think about your professional lives, your careers, if you want to call it, whatever, however you think about it. So where do you think you are now? Yeah, so we never had careers. We, we had thoughtful careers that we thought we were going to do. Yeah. And then it turned into this running this business, which you didn't even think of as a career, it was just we were doing it. It's the right thing to do. And now we go through this transaction process because we see the, the Bigelow life arc of the entrepreneur <laughs> and we see the clocks and we're seeing everyone else's experiences. And I think I've always learned through other people's experiences without having to actually try. And so seeing these things and figure out, well, I don't want that part, don't want that part. How can I solve and skip over to there? And that's literally what we started seeing combining our personal with what we thought was right for the business to make it better and saw, uh oh, there's starting to be a little disconnection there. It's time to find somebody to infuse some capital and ideas for the things that we really had the brakes on for way too long and, uh, and make that happen. How about you, Kim? You feel the same way? No. I'm eight years behind my plan. <laughs> What's your plan? I was to be out of Marco at 40. That's true. 
And so why weren't you? Because of the gentleman sitting next to me. He needed help. He needed help. And uh, the one thing I will agree is that we, as you know, Marco was very flat managed. Um, we were so used to overseeing and doing everything that as Marco grew, we just, it was keep on keeping on and not saying, hey, you know, maybe we should get some other people in there. So our responsibilities, while they stayed the same, they actually did get larger because of the volume. More employees, yeah. more customers, more rules and regulations. Right. Um, so us having to be there became, you know, greater and greater. Right. And we would have lulls where things would be fine, where we could take off and, you know, enjoy the world. Right. But a lot of times we'd have to roll back in and, you know, it was kind of like, we're all in, we get out. We're all in, we get out. Um, so ultimately, ultimately, from my standpoint, it really is about the fact that I was only supposed to be there to help with a side project. <laughs> and, and finally, 20 years later. Freedom. No. What? Because with all this right yeah, now. Look what happened. Yes. When we were looking for a financial partner, right. it was with an understanding that my position would be completely replaced. Right. So I would essentially scale back my hours, help a new CFO. Right. And Transition quickly. Right. Yes. I'm working more hours now than I was before. What are you going to do about that? We're waiting for the virus to make its way through. That's yeah. what's happening because of the government suggestions, you know, trying to be fair to our employees and their concerns and needs, plus meeting our customer demands. Right now, we're supplying to a lot of health facilities, including ventilator manufacturers. We're an essential business. We have to keep going. And so what's happening is, is we're finding we're doing a lot more work than we were doing because not only are we trying to help teach the individuals who are taking over for us, but we're dealing with this crisis situation. Right. So basically, we're, we're doubling down here. Right. And, and right. so having that mindset of, ooh, being able to do something, we're not even getting out of the house, <laughs> let alone getting out of the business and getting out into the world. Ooh, that's, Lucky if we can go, remember to go out for a walk right now. Ooh, I think that's a quote, Kim, that may go down in Bigelow lore. We're not oh. even getting out of the house, never mind getting out of the business. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Please feel free to use it because I will tell <laughs> that's you. That's a good one. That's, uh... so, so then, neither of you have said this exactly, but I took it from the stories, that in a way, you had ideas about professional careers, which ideas, it, again, you didn't say this, but it sounded like you put on hold to go do the right thing, to, and you became accidentally entrepreneurs. Yes. That's absolutely true. So is that phase of your professional life over? Are you done with being an entrepreneur? Oh, boy. Kim is. Kim is. <laughs> <laughs> So you have listeners to, to Positive Enterprise Value can't see the, uh, the, the tilt of the eyebrow that Kim just gave me. So it's a shame. Yeah. What about Chad? Like tilt in the other direction. So even though it wasn't really intentional, had other career paths, the career paths I was choosing, which is a commercial airline pilot, was because back in the day, 
They worked like 12 days a month and made a really good living, leaving a lot of time for self-exploration and side businesses and, and, and doing other things. And I found out, and I even sell these little O-rings out of my locker in elementary school. So there's always been that itch and thinking and understanding that I probably want to do something myself. <clears throat> so I'm not sure if I was really employable anyways, because I found the jobs that I did have, I tend to rewrite or make the own rules and try to make it better just naturally because it drove me crazy seeing inefficiencies. And so all those experiences built the perspective of, man, a lot of people are just going through the motions and just don't really give a crap. And I guess somehow I do, no matter, even when I'm at the grocery store, in the express line, how fast can I fire through and process people? And no one else really did that. They were there socially and doing other things, and I'm heads down, look around the time charts and selling TVs in college part-time. And What was your first job? What was, so what was your first job that you get paid, you know, an hourly wage for or something? It uh, wasn't actually hourly, it was piecework. Okay. And it wasn't actually packaging O-rings like, like you might think with what a family it business. It was a neighbor that had this little button factory. Oh, yeah. Literally? Literally. Oh. And they have individual one-off buttons. Yeah. And then you have these backings, and they need to, from the bulk, and you need to put them on there so you can sell them in bulks of whatever the backings were, 6, 12. And then who did those cards? They were on cards? They, yeah, on cards. Yeah, how, who were those cards sold to? No idea. You're talking way underage to be working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not only was I out playing sports, but, oh, boy. So we won't give you the name so that they'll be <laughs> I don't even remember the name. The child labor laws. The house, I barely remember the people. I know and so, I, I took so, this box, and, and away we go. Were you a good employee? Uh... Yeah, no questions, no nothing. They didn't see me. You take the box home, you put, you put them in there, you bring it back, and hey, you get some probably cash. Sounds like the perfect job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was remote work, uh, remote piecework, I guess. And did you um, work through high school and, and college? Off and on. So yeah. there was a lot of summers back in the warehouse at, at Marco. Yeah. And then there was grocery store stuff because either a combination of me and my parents, hey, well, yeah. need to get out exposed to, to other things as well. Sure. How about you, Kim? My first job yeah. was grocery store. Yeah. Yep. And I worked for the same company all the way through high school and college. That's great. Helped me to pay for college. Yeah. Yep. Started out as a cashier like everybody else does, then made my way into the produce department and wherever they needed me, I would work in the front office, meat department. It sounds like that was a good experience. It really was. Yeah. I find that um, I never considered myself to be boss material, but I am definitely of the mindset of how can things be done better. I'm, I feel like I'm more systems, more analytical in that sense. Yeah. You know, this could always be done smoother, easier, and that's always been my my way right. of doing things. So whenever there was a task that needed to be done, I would always find the best way, and it actually worked well, because when they needed someone to do something, I'd be the one they'd ask. My first job was in Manchester, New Hampshire, where I grew up, and I was 15, so I think that was legal. Uh, and I worked for a men's clothing store, which was called Ben Richards. Manchester's great store for men and young men, where you can get your Hager or Levi slacks mm -hmm. at 1093 Elm Street. And the uh, I don't know how, why or how Morris Bronstein um, 
hired me because it was out of the goodness of his heart because I knew nothing and I was a problem. And they paid me $1.60 an hour. And um, what impresses me about that, and I, and this, I guess that's why I tell you the story, is the guys working there, even though you'd think it's more or less a clerk job, they were craftsmen. So like I would be folding Levi jeans to put on the shelf, and they'd say, no, that's not how we fold them. We fold them like this, and we always do it like this. And like at Christmas time, I was rapping. I came up and had wraps on that, and they're like, they look at me just in disgust, take me by the ear and walk me into the back room and say, you have got to learn how to rap because we take this seriously. This is how we do it. And I always thought later in my life, wow, even like the most you would think not important positions, those guys were craftsmen and they taught me you can really be a craftsman doing anything, which is a pretty cool thing to learn. People that are take everything seriously into heart and try to do it the best they can and then differentiate themselves because of that. They really did. Fascinating. Yeah. So, so. I'm just thinking we're going to bring our gifts down and let Pete start wrapping them then. Yeah, I'm really good. I'm mean, still a good rapper, Kim. Okay. So, Chad, when you were growing up, uh, did you think you were going to be a business owner? Maybe, but didn't think so. It wasn't, uh, didn't have supervision. I was pretty narrow focused in everything I did. And it was sometimes circumstantial, but sometimes not. Yeah. So you, you start out being a Boy Scout and what's the ending conclusion? You become an Eagle Scout. Right. And you just go through the process and I find the, I found the most efficient ways to do it. It wasn't my only purpose and it wasn't my only focus. But it was just one of the things. You start playing sports, well, you focus on it, you try to get good at it or better at it. I got inspired, hey, I wanted to be a pilot. So before I got my driver's license, I started taking flight lessons and working the grocery store to pay for some of those flight lessons. And what do you do? You get your private pilot's license the, the same month as you get your driver's license. Right. So I kind of latched on to things and then saw them through to completion with blinders on almost anything else, but could do more than one thing at a time. And I learned later that that was pretty weird and unusual. And probably my advantage was I was super socially stunted and wasn't really a priority. It always gave me anxiety, and so I focused on things that I could, could do and kind of control. And relating to other people was definitely not one of them. So I didn't have the, the time that most people take and focus on social aspects and focus it on uh, specific goals and executing. Well, um, you sure have worked on that skill. Uh, well, you see me in, in the light of talking about business and tactics yeah. and strategy and something with a reason to talk about. If we started trying to talk about pop culture and other and social things, all of a sudden you'd hear a lot of silence and disinterest, and all of a sudden the the weirdness comes out. So, so uh, I'm guessing if if we tested you, you test as an introvert. Absolutely. Yet, you clearly are able to be an extrovert at times when the time is demanded from you. I can and will. It's almost only tactical and technical. Okay. But if weddings or, or events, yeah. and people that I don't know, yeah. unless I see an inkling that they have some 
some common interest or some something that I find interesting and it's typically how something works or why and if they have a specialty and a knowledge well, well then I want to talk about that but talking about other things that I think is trivial it's, it's a little weird but <laughs> I know I'm that way and I have a really hard time so like with, with family that aren't that way and don't really have like a specialty just to talk about stuff or whatever they're talking about oh boy is that hard for me to do yeah, I, I can relate. I mean, I um, people many people probably mistakenly think of me an extrovert, but I've tested many, many, many times. I'm way over the introverted side. I can be an extrovert when it's called for, but I find it very fatiguing. Absolutely. So it just take, takes a tremendous amount out of me, but I can do it sometimes. Kim, how about you? How would you classify yourself, introvert or extrovert? Um... I guess I'm an extrovert, but it's self-chosen. So more or less, if we're out in a social setting, I've learned through the years that I need to be, you know, it's the whole yin-yang thing yeah. where he yeah. gets quiet. So I tend to be the one to be more <laughs> open and social just to kind of help things along. That's pretty powerful. It, it can be, and it can be extremely helpful at times. Um, a large part depends on who's there now, if everybody's sitting there and they're talking about stuff that excites him, for me, that's where I really want to just nod off. And, Check out. And, yeah, I, I don't want to sit. I'm not one to sit and gossip. That's yep. not my thing. But I do like to hear what people are doing and what's new and exciting with them. Mm -hmm. um, so so I can kind of fill those gaps where, like I said, he's, he's more of the, the business mind. Chad, were you a good student in, in school? Definitely not. Definitely not. So How about you, Kim? Difficult no. student. No. I was average. Yeah. Were you average, Chad? I would say yeah, average, but of course I'm one of those problem kids that the teachers, especially in the, the STEM classes, just cannot get this kid to apply himself. That's, mm -hmm. that's the difference. He, he was average by choice. Mm -hmm. he, didn't, he didn't apply himself like anything he would find the easiest way to do stuff and get it done and it was just with the purpose of getting something done but he could have so, excelled ex very easily so so t today you know in 2020 there are many different kinds of schools now that have specialties some have stem specialties some do all kinds of specialties um how would you feel maybe maybe you would succeed as a student better today because of that with specialization, yeah, maybe, but I'm also not sure if I agree with specialization either, getting mm -hmm. pushing people into the, a certain direction. Also thinking about how, how I was in school in elementary, it wanted to actually hold me back. Yeah. So this social aspect, it's, it's more than just not comfortable doing it. There's, there's, something, there's something deeper there that my growth in reading and social, not getting along with, with the other kids, but then in the technical aspects, you learn just a little bit later, there's something special there to offset the weakness. Mm -hmm. And so that was pretty interesting. But thinking back, if you took some of those special strengths and focused just on that, some of the stuff that I wasn't good at and really hated, almost had to go through some of those motions to at least pick up some of that, what you didn't learn or what you weren't good at. Yeah, in fact, hearing you speak about it and also having Kim's insight on that I'm uh, not surprised but it's lucky that you finished and went to college and did that because some people wouldn't have 
they would have been like they wouldn't have gotten enough out of it. True. So for me specifically, <clears throat> it, it was more strategic yeah. and tactful as usual because at that point I wanted to, to be a pilot. Right. I already had my license right. in in high school yeah. and so I finished with that goal and spent a lot of time still playing sports and working and flying and doing a little bit of school work, whatever was uh, easy for me. But then, okay, going to college was, hey, I'm going to an aviation school to keep flying and to get to this goal. Right. If I didn't have that, I, I probably wouldn't have went to college because what's why bother? Right. That's what I thought. Because yeah. I do look back in college, I didn't need it, didn't really learn much that I can really take away and point to as far as it just gave me the opportunity to keep flying and pick up, learn really more about myself. Boy, physics class that everyone was flunking, I barely had to pay attention and it was just obvious to me. The humanities classes, learning about classical artists and those things was like, what? how, how can you even tell the difference between all these things? <laughs> what Couldn't get the point, but being exposed to it. Right, good, yeah. Was, Side note, that physics teacher was a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I related because I'm probably fit that in some cases. Too. Yeah. And he liked you in your gym shorts. Did you guys go to high school together? No. No. Right. Same. The first day of college. Right. First day before college when you're both there for sports. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, Chad, your dad was an entrepreneur. So, if I remember, did he leave like sort of like a corporate job and then bought Marco? Uh, yeah, sort of. So was a purchasing guy and trying, one of the things he needed to buy were these, these little seals and of yeah. course couldn't find anyone that gave good service or a product. So eventually he met this other guy who kind of knew the market a little bit and yeah. they, they bought this bankrupt defunct uh, business for, I don't know, I think it was like 30 grand, something like that. It was just the, the shell of, of the business right. and really had to start from there. And how old would he have been when he bought it? Boy, that's a good question. 80. 40, 31? No, 41. Uh, no, 39. Okay, so 40. So 40 minutes. So he'd spent almost 20 years as an employee of someone else. Yeah, and he did grow up. His, his father, my grandfather, was a failed business owner. Yeah. Like, I can't, who knows how many times over in the stories, but just because he's the like, opposite personality as me, super extra, extrovert, loves everyone, and would give away the store. Yeah. And was your father, did he enjoy being a business owner? That's interesting. So he had a similar story. He barely got through high school yeah. because he had a, a kind of a separated eardrum, is the story, and didn't know until way later in life. So Couldn't he could never hear, hear yeah. in school. And that's why, hey, grade school, now you like do hearing tests to, st to yeah. find that out because yeah. people figure that out later. Yeah. And so, it's what made him a great salesperson. Absolutely. He could BS anything because he could only <laughs> half hear what you said. So he could just, woo! He used the other senses really to figure out what was going on, what the situation would be. Yeah. <laughs> so fascinating stuff. So I'm not exactly sure if he always dreamed to be, but maybe it was that similar mentality that, that I kind of got either genetically or, or, or by seeing it that, man, th there's just no good way of doing this, no good way of sourcing this. I, I guess I got to make a better way. Mm. Even though he didn't have any classical school, but he did have the hustle and basic nature of back up what you say 
and the rest of the family now is remembering or triggering. So I had kind of a, an uncle and a great uncle that had like a newspaper stand. And when he had some health troubles, the only person that the family would uh, put, hey, can you go run this oh, yeah. at a real young age? Because they knew he was just naturally responsible and could make it happen with not a lot of BS. Wow. And how about your mom? Was she involved in the business? Uh, I would say no. So also the total opposite, more of an occupational therapist mm -hmm. was her job before the for me. Mm -hmm. Really, other children's started happening. Yeah. So much more of a, a nurturer, and and social. Yeah, yeah. Kim, I forget. Um, are your parents entrepreneurs? No. So, Not at all. So you all ended up with this thinking maybe that you're going to temporarily help Jad's dad. Chad went five years, you came on board, and when you did that, did the two of you, who I consider to be very intentional in what you do, at that point, did the two of you sort of say, like you just said, like, okay, when I'm 40, I'm out? Did you kind of say, okay, we're trying to build this to become X? No, no. not at all. What was on your mind? I don't know what was on his mind. For me, it was... <laughs> We had a series of background events that I became available to help him. Yeah. And it, I didn't really think about it. It was simply him saying, hey, you know, I've got this side project going on. It's kind of taking off. I, don't, I can't do two things at once. Can you come help? Sure. Then one thing led to another, and it was, you know, me coming in outside saying, you know, I... I I'm seeing this happening over here, and I don't think that maybe this should be happening, or, or I'm seeing this, and maybe we could fix this, maybe we could do that, my analytical mind, seeing systems and processes and looking to change. And so I became more ingrained by doing the side project and helping with other aspects while he started doing more and more for Marco itself. And, you know, next thing we knew it was, you know, his dad wasn't doing that well, we were taking health more health-wise. We were taking more and more control. Next thing you know, we bought it. Next thing you know, next thing you know, <laughs> next thing are. you know. <laughs> so, 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 like a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs, and they listen to the story that we've been chatting about with the two of you and think, "Wow, aren't you lucky?" But I guess I want to ask you a different question, Kim. Um, are there parts of your career that you'd say was unlucky? In other words, did you have, do you have part of your career that you feel is unfinished because you went down this road? Um, not necessarily. I mean, my goals had always been to be an air traffic controller. Mm -hmm. That's my initially was to go through the military. I ended up not going that route, so I ended up going to uh, college, which is where I met Chad. And ideally, it was my goal. Um, not long after finishing, that was when all the air traffic controllers that were fired back in the 80s mm -hmm. through Reagan, they were all coming back and they were getting top billing to be able to get job placements. So for me, I had to do something in the interim. My mind was always air traffic control, air traffic control, so I never really set my mind on doing something else as a different career path. And ultimately, by the time it came up that I could then take the step, years literally went by. And right, right. I was thinking, you know, I don't know if I want to do that now. 
Um, so, so I think of, I don't know, but I think of air traffic controller as a supremely stressful, multitasking, many pieces of data coming from many different directions, and also uh, with the great um, importance of outcome. Uh, what was it about that that attracted you? It's structured stress. Despite the fact that it is very stressful, there are clean, defined rules and procedures to go through. So in right. other words, it's like anything in life. I feel like if you understand how something works and you're comfortable where you're at, then anything else that's thrown at you, you can handle it. It's when everything is total chaos. I find that's when people tend to lose their abilities to manage. Um, so what I always enjoyed about the fact was is, you know, set rules, Yes. but the variety of each and individual situation, so, which is actually what came in a lot of handy when it came to Marco. I mean, people probably wouldn't get it, but in a way you're describing kind of some of the things you did at Marco. Oh, very much so. It, it is that mindset which is what allowed us to be able to say, look, in order for a business to be successful, you have to set expectations for yourself, for the business, for your employees. If people understand what their roles are and what's required of them, they become more comfortable in doing their job because they're not always wondering, well, do I do this? What do I do this? What's what? You're constantly changing everything on me. So that's where, for me, the analytical and the processes work. It's saying, hey, these are what we do and this is how we do it. So when there is any variation, which one thing about Marco is we don't run black and white despite what I'm saying, but by having the black and white foundation, yes. all the gray we can handle because our people know where they're starting from and being able to shift and change from that. And for me, that's where my mind works, the basic solid foundation and having the fluidity to, to uh, continue on. So, so what year approximately did you buy the business from your, your dad? Well, I can go back and give some context. And before that, ask kind of a, a question. Don't all owner-managers' businesses reflect their skills and the way they think things should be done? So we took our skills and how we see the world and how things should happen, and the business kind of circumstantially is built in our image. I would imagine that it happens a lot. Yeah, I, my experience is that it does for the best ones. I think there are a group of entrepreneur owner managers who you know, come to a business and they have a unique ability. You have one, you have one. And uh, I think it's actually, it's very sad that they sometimes go away from their unique ability and think they have to become more of a quote general manager and more of a general manager and learn the HR stuff and learn the administrative stuff and learn the healthcare stuff, et cetera. And they continue to go away from their unique ability and actually it holds the business back. It hurts, it hurts the business. So I think if you can do what the two of you are describing, which is you have your unique abilities and you continue to like put the fuel to them and maybe, maybe you have some other people that you hired who do some other stuff around you, that's, a, that's an awesome way. And that's how his father was. He knew what his strengths were and he knew his little, Limitations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he knew what his strengths were and he knew his limitations. Yeah. So as such, he 
he hired individuals to do the tasks that needed to be done in order for him to continue to be successful. That he, that he felt that he wasn't uniquely skilled at. Correct. Yeah. But at a very, very small scale. So he hired just a very few individuals. So when it really took over the business, it was only a dozen people. Right. So it's not like I hired a lot of people right. to make that happen because he knew part of the limitations was he didn't want to have a lot of people because he couldn't handle that either. Right. Right. And I, I got that. to the same point, just uh, <laughs> a, maybe only three times bigger as far as number of people, but fortunately a lot, many times bigger as far as a business. So, so when the two of you were in the business and your dad transitioned out of the business, you know, it's sort of axiomatic that in businesses it's best if there's clarity of role, R-O-L-E, especially by the leader or leaders. Yet you two have been going back and forth to work for a long time together and you worked together. How did you manage that clarity of role between you? That was just kind of happened pretty easy and naturally. Maybe I can circle back and give some more, a little bit more context that uh, people might enjoy listening, even to the Kim story that uh, kind of summarized, but there was some really defining points in there. So the first uh, with my, my mother was the first one to fall ill terminally, yeah. which drew me out of aviation back to try to help out the business. And that was that five year period that I started helping the business right and at that point my father had a vice president and a sales manager that kind of really ran the business with call it a dozen people right uh, all kind of doing the jobs as a tiny small distributor trying to find its own way of doing something a little bit uniquely and so here's this kid coming in here that questions everything exhaustively and starts adding some technology and starts questioning what these guys have been relatively relatively successful on their own <laughs> rights, uh, causing all sorts of, of friction. Yep. So at the same time when the company that Kim was middle management for ran into all sorts of trouble and all of a sudden that job opportunity disappeared was the same time that I was doing some unique leading edge things that were internet that no one even understood at that point that I was playing with. And so right at the same time that we're, so. Would this have been the 2004 or five? Exactly. Yes. So Kim's losing her job. Oh, this is 2004 or five, it really when I started. And then it was 99, tech bubble time. Yeah. 97, 98, 99, but it was 99 where Kim's company disappears. This, these side web projects and doing e-commerce for industrial products, which just wasn't happening that I was playing with, yeah. got too big. So, hey, Kim, can you come help? And oh, by the way, so she lost her job, we got married, and since she joined this business, all within a month or two. <laughs> so there's some context there. And then within three years of us playing with this technology and us starting to assert ourselves of trying to make this business better, and at the same time, my father, we didn't know it, but his uh, health was starting to deteriorate and limiting his capabilities. We really pushed out, not on purpose, just because we thought we were trying to do the right thing, but there was huge friction between this vice president and sales manager. And for really two not, years- Not between them, but between them and Oh, you. no, between them and you. ultimately me, yeah. and then by proxy, my father. Okay. So who, my father was starting to, well, this kid's making some good decisions and look at look at the results. How can you argue with some right. of this stuff even right. though I didn't understand it and these guys were 
how can you put prices up on the internet where people can see them? Right. Of course, I'm like, uh, yeah, that's, that's the point. And so it took a year there was friction and another year where they were basically strategizing behind the scenes. They're like uh, watergating. Yeah. All of a sudden, suddenly bringing a briefcase into work and all of a sudden filing cabinet paperwork is going out with them every day. And at one point, finally, if I knew what I was doing and would have seen this and been paying attention, they, they should have been, someone should have had the balls to let them go. Yes. But what the hell do we know? As, right. as kids, right. just we're just trying to improve the business. Right. We're not trying Besides to really. Your father had hired them. So. Right. We're not really trying to run the business, although I guess we are by, by, our, by our actions. And so one day they're like, okay, we quit and we're going to put you guys out of business. And that was the point we really started figuring out that my father didn't have it all there to really run it. And he was really relying on us at that point. Right. And that's within a year we said, well, we just should, we need to buy this business. Yeah. Because the part of the story when those guys left that first year was the biggest growth year of the business ever. Uh -huh. So it was like release all the negative energy and all the conflict. <laughs> and yeah, these guys tried to call all, on all these customers that they were kind of like selling and sales reps or had good relationships, so they thought with. And what a huge learning experience for some kid that was just trying to do things, uh, make things better process-wise. And what was the level of technology that was you were working with at that point? 99-2000, yeah. I was the one that really put in the first ERP. Okay and then customize the crap out of that ERP because it wasn't satisfied. And the way we tried to operate the business in a, in a niche non-distributor way uh, required some unique features that just weren't there. So, so, so for people who are listening, so Marco, let's say before you two came to the business full-time, was a distributor of O-rings and elastomeric seals made by others. Yep. And principally, would there be principally made by Parker or? True. So that we got to go back to the story of my father and his, uh, I guess call it some genius, that when they started, they were just really a traditional distributor yeah. for Parker yeah. and a couple of the others out there. And in the early 90s, Parker gave an ultimatum of, hey, if you want to sell Parker a product, it's all Parker or none. Yeah. And he was one of the very few to, that was already frustrated. Why he got into the business at the beginning with was service, because he couldn't find someone to supply this stuff. And so a few years into him trying to actually do this, he found it's these damn manufacturers with these minimums and their lack of customer service doesn't allow their distributors really to have the freedom to be able to serve the customer. And so he was already disgruntled with them. So when they came and gave the ultimatum, oh, did he have an answer for them okay. right away without yeah. hesitation? <laughs> and that sent the business on a trajectory of being truly independent and need to find small niche suppliers that can do something unique and special that Parker couldn't or wouldn't. So, so the business then was really ahead of others in uh, getting the supply chain and the logistics squared away so that you became a value-added distributor by finding all these different forms of suppliers. Yep. It's okay. Then you guys came to the business and the two bad boys left and that unlocked the potential for the business. What was the business model at that point? It was, it was still relatively the same because okay. it was so successful and so profitable. I just looked at it when I came back after school, look at it from that different perspective in the mid-90s, boy, if they actually had some productivity and it wasn't just these cowboy sales guys uh, that learned the market and they learned all these niche guys 
and business sort of got their reputation. If you need something fast or urgent or special or weird or unique, go to these guys because they have a way of making it happen. And so taking that mentality and putting some structure and ultimately some technology to do it, just scale it. Because guess what? I had the same perspective as my father. I don't know. Hiring these Yahoo salespeople, and it's still to this day, we don't have outside salespeople because they're difficult to, to manage. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, from, from then on, it was how do we digitize this and how do we use technology to leverage the same concept but do it super efficient. So 2005, would you two agree to 2000, I'm making this up, correct me, 15, 2005, 2015, you were building the business, scaling the business, getting the systems to be better, um, just getting everything to be better, uh, optimizing the profitability, the cash flow. Would it be around 2005 that you started thinking about, wow, we could actually put the pedal to the metal on technology here and change the business? So 2004 or five is actually when we bought the business. Okay. And these guys called the Yahoos. Yeah. It'd be funny if they actually end up listening <laughs> to this. <laughs> they could. You know who you are. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, anyways. So that was the disruption at that point. Yes. So it took 2005, so 2006, seven, eight, right? So we really yeah. had just a few years to start putting some things in place and have some growth And what happened in 2008, 2009. Yeah, the big recession. We found out it was big, but not that big for us. And we found that it was a huge opportunity because of some of the things we were putting in place was like hiring someone from, from Green Tweed that helped developed this, our own first brand of these perfluorolastomers to really compete against Calores and their DuPont product line. And we were establishing that and trying to peddle that stuff to IBM. Hey, this is the same basic foundational material right. and we're just having it really private manufactured and yeah, we can give it to you for half off. Yes. And yeah, is who IBM is gonna trust some, now we're the Ahos. Yeah. <laughs> And like, yeah, we're gonna put our business livelihood on, on you guys, even though for half that price, yeah, no thank you. Until they're all getting laid off and they almost have no choice, they're kind of save their business, and all of a sudden, hey, okay, you guys that were peddling that stuff, we'll give it a try. Yeah. They give it a try, and of course, yeah, it does work exactly like you said, because it is pretty much the same stuff. Yeah. And then that happened universally all over the place as we we're building our wouldn't even call it our own brand. We were building it, but we weren't really doing it that intentional beside that one. Isn't it interesting how a crisis like that disrupts the status quo? And it can frequently be a benefit to, uh, to agile entrepreneurs. Absolutely. It kind of levels the playing field right there. Here we are again today. I was wondering about that. So we were have been preparing for the next one ever since. <laughs> Not really preparing and you know, wishing for another one right, to happen, right, right. but we just run. <laughs> Don't allow them again, but we're ready. <laughs> we learned from that experience. And just the way we operate the business, trying to be agile and totally technology-driven anyways, really sets it up. And really to answer, we perpetuated that same idea that my father really stumbled upon, which is, hey, the unique, hard-to-find service-level items, either whether performance or speed or value-added, whatever it is, that the traditional, especially in industrials, still on this day, are still based on catalog, commoditizing, simplifying, high high volume commoditizing. Yes. It's still all there. And it just, of course, triggers another idea. It's what we're seeing in the whole medical industry, which is why we're having 
trouble responding quick yes. to a crisis like this, but a little side tangent. But back to business of us, that we saw that and all those unique things, all the way back to when I first back and joined the business, we make the most profit and the most money on all this weird stuff because the commodities is a race to the bottom. Right. So, so when roughly was it when you two had this sort of aha, so we really need to take our technology to a whole other generation? Uh, th there wasn't an aha moment. It was from 99 uh, when it brought in this ERP yeah. and then started customizing it and had these visions of, boy, I want it to do these things. And hold oh, the frustration of trying to get this ERP that's a standardized commodity that's supposed to be able to help many, many different businesses. And we're a niche kind of contrarian business trying to work in these fringes, it's just not built for that. But but you're a, you're still a niche contrarian business. Yep. You've just completed this recap with Align Capital Partners Definitely. to give you the, the capital and the access to talent and other things that you were hoping for to, to be able to take advantage of the growth and demand in the marketplace. So what do you see the company becoming? Well, what I would still see, and if we didn't do this, or if we do, what I'm going to what I'll lobby for is the same path that's been uniquely successful. What's not been successful is how long it's taken. And that's mostly because of me, heads down, trying to solve these niche problems and build software and technology, and not really build it by using third parties, first with this ERP guys, that was a small ERP, I knew the actual developers and trying to get in front of them and I beta tested a lot of things for them and was really pushing them. They got acquired and became part of a big conglomerate, all of a sudden I lose that connection, uh oh, I guess I got to find another way. <laughs> so I find other third party programmers to try to take this, what I thought was simple obvious vision and try to communicate it to others, we need to build this. And the frustration of being able to, to communicate that, that I guess learned later was contrarian and counterintuitive that couldn't get anyone else to build it. So hearing this story, um, I'm thinking to myself that you, I'm kind of back to where I started with the question, which was you're at this unique crossroads, right? You can do whatever you want. I'm not done yet. Right, and I guess a question I would have for either one of you is, like, are there some things that you haven't sampled yet, professionally, career-wise, as business owners, entrepreneurs, or as amateurs, that you think would be awesome to try? It's, there, the answer to that's definitely yes. There's some side interests, that especially I have, I know Kim does as well, but it's still like there's unfinished business. It goes back to, hey, Started out as a Boy Scout. I'm not the Eagle Scout yet, right. as far as this business. Right. And fortunately, being able to, to meet the team at Bigelow and seeing some of this life arc stuff and, and learning, boy, the, the business could be so much more, but the, the vision is still there. And the reason why it could be so much more is because somehow, yeah, I'm still the CEO. I never thought about being the CEO, never wanted to, even never describe myself as the president <clears throat> just still building this business and whatever it took. Right. But as the success happened, the big the business became bigger and bigger 
and with both Kim and I assuming the more and more responsibilities and we're not comfortable with hiring middle management or for that matter upper management specialists to take over that so we could focus on the things that we're really best at and that really was the inspiration to get to this point finally where we were which is boy we actually need a real CEO and we didn't feel comfortable or qualified <clears throat> hiring a CEO and then abruptly firing a CEO and going through that whole time and that whole process that happens with so many. So maybe we can do some a little bit of everything. Can we find a way to get Kim to exit the business to start focusing on herself and ourself as well as someone to hire a CEO that can take help take and manage the guts of this business while give me a little bit of time to finish some of these visions as far as the technology which we already started by eventually to finish kind of that part of the story, which is, yeah, we couldn't find outsourced third-party people, so we eventually did hire really awesome developers in-house. And, oh boy, what a difference that was. Really expensive, and five years before that, probably couldn't afford it or wouldn't have had the guts to do it, but we got to a certain point where, geez, well, we've, the, money can, the money's there. The business can certainly afford it. We're at a point that we're safe, the risk is okay, Let's, let's, bunch of, let's throw a bunch of money at these people, start working with it, and see what happens. And it was awesomeness happened. <laughs> and it was, oh, boy, okay, well, this is, this is it. We need a CEO because I need to be working with these guys because right. we can make some, like, right. crazy good, unique things happen. And I'm so distracted still with running the business, which drives me crazy, rather than actually doing the things that's fun and that could actually drive the business to begin with. So not being about the money and being too early for the business, if we really hunkered down and did this for a few more years, even through the chaos that we're happening now, the business could be worth two or three times more, but it was more what was right back for the business, which is why we started right. in the business to begin with, is it needed to grow faster and stronger before, and we need to really have that leadership and someone else wanted to come in and take that. So I can work literally for them, but it would still really be for myself just to solve sure this challenge and when we build this it's going to be applicable to all sorts of other industrials i just want to see that actually happen and you continue to be stockholders in this business true so it's yeah. best of kind all of good. all the worlds coming together and we'll see we've got a a fun year a few f years of working at this and we'll see how that goes and can't wait to see what it produces and then we'll be able to answer your question of some of these other side hobbies that we do have these other passions of traveling and, and being travel really through food and foodieism, through hole in the walls to some, some fancy places that when we can, that we do also health and wellness. So, 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 let, so let's talk about that for a second. So. I mean, when people, when entrepreneur or owner-managers like the two of you get to the level of achievement and success that you've had, my experience is that 90-plus percent of the uh, challenge is psychological. And so uh, usually um, entrepreneurs who are sustained, successful, find ways to uh, deal with that. And sometimes it's mind-body ways. Sometimes they, 
I'm making this up. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes they have special nutrition. Sometimes they do yoga. Sometimes they learn meditation. Sometimes they do breath work. Sometimes they do whatever, whatever. What about the two of you? What's worked for you? Oh, now you look at me for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the answer too. <laughs> you know, I got to be honest. I think we've just been so focused with the business for so long that I think a lot of stuff that we do has just really been, I don't want to say not mindful, but it's just been more of a, a byproduct of us trying to balance the work side of things. So I, I don't think we necessarily have the mindset of saying, well, or at least myself, oh, well, you know, I want to get up and I want to make sure that I do meditate at least twice a week and I want to do exercise at least this. And it, a lot of what we do, I think, just is an evolution from what, what we have time for when it comes to the business. Yeah. Um, which is why it's very difficult, I think, for both of us to answer particularly post-transition questions because we have been so focused in what we do that a lot of stuff that we do on the side is just, we just do it. We don't even think about it necessarily. And, and I think also your, your transaction, you know, just completed. And then this virus is upon us. Exactly. So like, it's hard to even if, we, have you have the mindset of being in transition, right? We did not. In fact, it's funny and I will share this. The day of the transaction, we were here at Bigelow all day. And while we were waiting for the various stages to go through, Chad and I are each on our laptop working because the business still needs to run. And it wasn't like, hey, you know, why don't we at least just take the day and enjoy this for ourselves. We worked the whole time. We signed the papers. We had a little champagne. We got in our car. We went to work. And we worked for hours until I think like 7 or 8 o'clock that night. Got home packed our bags and went to Florida the next day. That You figure the transaction was on a Wednesday. We went to Florida on Thursday, and that's because we had a scheduled um, event that we were going to, a four-day event. And Thursday and Friday, we were still working with the new owners. They left us alone for Saturday and Sunday. And then we were back to work on Monday. I remember that. Yeah. Yes, and then it was just a few weeks after, all of a sudden, this started happening so for us we haven't had a chance to take a breath on the contrary we're working longer more days more hours because we're trying to help the transition team learn stuff but we're also con dealing with the pandemic yeah. and the day-to-day -day operations that still needs to get done so a mindset of what to do we, we don't have, like I said, it's difficult to even just go out for a walk sometimes because it, we don't realize, holy moly, it's this late and we need to eat dinner. Yeah. So the timing, <clears throat> back to context. So what was our transition? February 19th. 19th. Was that like maybe the height of the equities market? Yeah. And so then we went away for a few days that Monday. I don't know how many days later, but now all of a sudden this uh, virus stuff starts spreading. It starts to become a little bit real, but our country was still ignoring it for the, for the most part, but all of a sudden the equities market wasn't ignoring it anymore because if the Asian markets and all those things, so the equity markets tanked. So all of a sudden you've got this new acquirer 
that is now, they don't really know us, they don't really know the business, they knew enough that they, they believed that they were gonna bet on it, but now all of a sudden, and they knew they heard the stories of how we did in eight and nine, but now all of a sudden the equity market's falling out from under them, and there's all these expectations, and we're, we're in it. And now all of a sudden, for Kim, who doesn't wanna be the CFO, and they brought in an interim CFO on day one, so he started right away. For me, who didn't want to be the CEO, now I'm doing the most CEO work of my entire <laughs> life right now, managing a crisis, that, yeah. with splitting teams and keeping people separated, all of these things, all the reasons and all the things that why we went through the transaction, tr transaction not to do are happening in full force right now, <laughs> and we still feel obligation for our partners, who acquired the business, our employees, our customers, our suppliers. There's a lot of people, I can mention, hey, products are going into medical devices and all sorts of devices. We have thousands and thousands of customers. We don't even know where all these products go, but when they go wrong, bad things happen. And if you go out of stock, bad things happen. So we know we've got that obligation to fulfill. And from the very first day getting involved in the business, trying to make it better and do the right thing, we're still doing what we've always done. So maybe to answer your question, we look forward to thinking about that <laughs> when we give we ourselves so the opportunity. We look forward to thinking about that. We know there are some things out there around the surface that from time to time we focus on for a little bit and then we get drawn back into, into the business that we look forward to exploring ourselves and some of those things that we find interesting and see what we can do with our whatever unique skills that we have and maybe apply it to it to have some fulfillment other than just building this business that's become half because it was there, half because we feel obligated. I don't know, you're probably better with all, all the words and the reasons why it took me a long time to write down what are the key words of why we've done what we've done the last 20, 25 years. <laughs> take some thought to figure that out. Well, do you think that uh, you would be more likely to be involved with some of the interests that you may have post-transition in a for-profit entrepreneurial way or like just in a way of, uh, I don't know, charitably supporting something? I got strong beliefs there. How about you? I'd say yes and yes. I okay. think or it's really more of a combination. I think we, we both agree, agree uh, we have the same mindset on what we look to support. Some causes, yeah. We like certain things, but I say from our own experience, being an operator, owner of a business, mm -hmm. we see the, the power in that. Mm -hmm. So we've never been one to just start handing out money to organizations that we couldn't trust or believe, which is pretty much all institutions. Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of how we think. The bigger they are, the, yeah. you know, the more bureaucracy, yeah. and they can't be efficient by the way they are to actually support the cause. So people that, even though the cause and the intentions are all good, mm -hmm. it's all about execution and can you actually deliver for the cause that you're trying to help? Mm -hmm. And so, especially for me, and I'm getting more and more uh, decided about that going through all this, this process is that the actual entrepreneurial spirit and even though it's for-profit, there's all these new fancy B corporations yep. and other things coming up that, that yep. are interesting, but ultimately it has to be sustainable because just handing out money just to hand it out and feel good doesn't ultimately, is not sustainable. 
and not really the way to make things happen. So whether for-profit, whatever, it just needs to be sustainable and actually the business operation to execute whatever you're trying to do, that's how I think it should actually happen. So funding people that are super passionate and capable of solving some of these challenges mm-hmm. will likely be for profit because those are the businesses that actually seem to solve the world's challenges better and faster and more efficiently than others. I could definitely see myself getting involved in that. Yeah, that's a fascinating answer. You know, as I think about the last 120 years of uh, philanthropy, I think it's correct to say that the Rockefeller Foundation established by John D. Rockefeller was the first family charitable foundation. If not, it wasn't the first, it was very close. And I think they clearly have had a point of view that basically says we want to maintain the capital in the Rockefeller Foundation and give away the earnings on the capital, but we want our family to be involved with this for many, many, many generations ahead. And Ford Foundation, the same thing. Many other foundations, and people who are listening to this are far more expert in the philanthropy area than I am. Uh, can probably add and correct what I'm saying. But it seems to me that with uh, Chuck Feeney, you know, the billionaire who wasn't, um, Gates Foundation, uh, Warren Buffett then contributing his wealth 100% to Gates, and having the Gates Foundation had a um, clause that said all of the funds have to be given away during the lifetime of Bill and Melinda Gates. So that's currently $56 billion. Uh, and I think they have now changed that to be um, maybe during the lifetime of Bill and Melinda Gates and maybe some other person like their CEO. <laughs> but they, they realize it's going to be really hard to spend this intelligently. But what you're discussing is actually another evolution, I think, of that, which is, okay, that was a not-for-profit way to do it. And I would argue it was essentially not-for-profit because it was not untaxed. So I would argue that a not-for-profit or a for-profit, if to be successful, you have to have the same mission, vision, strategy. You have to have, in, you know, in the for-profit world, we call it profit. In the not-for-profit world, they call it surplus. You've got to have it. But some of the for- not-for-profits get confused, and there is now, I think, a movement that you just described where some people say, maybe, you know, my capital goes to doing these great social causes, but doing it in a for-profit way. Maybe some of it ends up not-for-profit, too. I think there's a reason why the, the time is now to switch that mindset, and it's because there are exponential technologies out there. You don't need these huge institutions with huge infrastructure to deliver. So think even just 10 and definitely 20 years ago, to be able to produce clean water and food and health to around the world, monumental effort to make that happen. You needed the structure to make that happen. Right Today, with software as a service and machine learning yeah. and the, what's happening now in this pandemic, seeing all these upstart biotech yeah. businesses that can unleash the power of all this technology with a very small group of passionate people can Did make watch extraordinary the things happen. on Friday? So it was sort of phase two of the Peter and... Uh, didn't watch that one live, and I was almost like, eh, it's going to be... I already agreed with the first one. Do I really need to listen well, to Well, what was thing? interesting to me about the second one, because I think it makes your point, uh, uh, Kovacs is a, a, a family business uh, that I think started uh, in uh, Asia and now has moved to the U.S. and is being run by maybe the third-generation daughter. Uh, and they um, have 
been very successful in virus vaccines for edible animals. So oh, I know like you're talking beef, about that. swine, poultry. And basically they're saying, yeah, we get it. Like, not only do we get it, that you have to like test on this really, really, really fast, but we actually could make 100 million units per week at a, between a dollar and you know twenty dollars per unit, and you start thinking about people like that who quickly scale, and of course with seven by twenty four global communication, they're doing it everywhere. It's something perhaps would have been only done by a not for profit years ago, and now you could do it very quickly with an entrepreneurial firm. That is a hundred percent the idea, yeah. and it's how do we get involved in all? There's this huge world of all these like-minded people that are that are connecting in that network of both capability and, and capital with technology, pull all that together, and the next few and five and 10 years is gonna be uh, pretty fun to watch and hopefully be a part of. So let me, let me switch gears just a teensy bit and just say that, you know, uh, in this podcast, Positive Enterprise Value, we talk a lot about people's uh, life stories and business stories because the hope is that you've left some breadcrumbs in the forest for other entrepreneurs to follow. And so one of the questions I have for you is, you know, we think a lot about uh, entrepreneur goals and entrepreneur achievement, but to get goals and achievement frequently, if you repeat the same behavior, we call that a habit. What are your best habits? This is for each of you or both of you. Here's the pause question. You don't have to be. Yes. Uh, you don't have to be modest. Tell me your best habits. Oh, I don't. Do we have best habits? We have. What, we do what we think. Yeah. Is right. Yeah. So, um, always been that introverted researcher. So I like to learn from other people's experience and other people's learnings that I find credible, and I get to triangulate and cross-reference. Because never believe any one person and what they say. Got to connect all those dots. Yeah, what a superpower it is if you can learn from all those other people's minds instead of having to learn it on your own. So try to do that best I can, but also takes a lot to get me to, to believe, so it takes me a long time to do that. So I don't know if that, that's a good habit or it's just so a habit operation. Of, a habit of seeking research but being professionally skeptic until, until? Yep, that would be a good way of describing it. Some other habits are even though pretty driven and work a lot for me sports has been a big part of life as well as everything else but it was an ability to escape and i think escape as a, a participant or a spectator uh mostly a participant find that much more than watching other people doing i'm more much more of a doer so playing whatever sport, sport, sport of choice at the moment is an escapism of work. And yeah. it's really that mental escape. Like focus on nothing else but this game and winning in the ball and competition, and all of a sudden I can't be thinking about yes, work or definitely. anything else. Yeah. And I think, I'll speak for Kim a little bit here, her escapism is more is reading yes. or doing a mental challenge like a puzzle yes. in traffic control. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, I have to tell a story on my wife, who is your friend, who the other day um, she was ruffling through our kitchen trash. And I said to her, what are you doing? And she said, oh, there was a cool puzzle maze on the back of the cereal box that you threw out. 
then I want to make sure I do. Awesome. <laughs> and that sounds just like your wife. <laughs> yeah. You even said it just like that her, goes too. That her voice. How long have you been married together? 35 plus years. So, so Kim, do you want to, is there anything you want to say about habits? Oh, geez. I think for me, if it, I was raised in a blue-collar family, so yeah. my family have had a variety of jobs that, quite frankly, they will say sucked. Yeah. Um, everything from shucking clams and doing piecework, construction, yeah. you name it, they've, they've done it. But their philosophy has always been, you work hard, you give a job 110%, you do what's right. So I think for me, a lot of my habit is derived from that, where, again, I don't come from a family of owner-operators, yes. but I do come from a family of working hard, yes. finding value in yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, finding value in yourself and what you do. So I think for me, I do have a habit of, um, if I'm doing something, it's always about giving it my all, doing the job very well. I'm a very good grunt. That's how I view myself. I never saw myself as an owner-operator. Mm -hmm. I'm a very good grunt. I'm very good at doing things well. Um, and also just the, the mindset of, of a habit of not only what do what I can do um, in the job that I do, but in how I treat people. Yep. with respect and trying to just be fair in life and in work and overall. So I think that was part of the human resource aspect that I took over as well. Um, so, so the opposite side of that is, um, do either of you have any kryptonite? Oh, I think oh, yes. now, now I've had some more time to think about the habits. Yeah, yeah. And now the habits, are, <laughs> they're uh, much more intentional. Yes. So as spoke a little bit about sports and that escapism to let the, the mind be focused on something else to recharge when all of a sudden body starts breaking down and can't do some of the impact sports that I used to do found a way to all of a sudden I need to be have that competitive sports drive continue so all of a sudden that found my way after going to different health clubs just like training and practicing is mind-numbing. So you're not gonna see me on a treadmill and you're not gonna see me doing the same thing over and over again because it will last about two minutes and then I need to find something else. It's gotta be both mentally and physically stimulating mm -hmm. and have a way that I can challenge myself, but it needs to have variety as well. So I seek that and found a trainer that is uh, super creative and crazy enough to be able to keep making similar things seem new and challenging and knows how to push my buttons oh, to awesome. challenge me to do different things. Yeah. And I found, you know what, I think Kim might enjoy this crazy trainer yeah. as well. And so that became a habit and we've been habitual for... Eight years. Wow, that's great. She, I was gonna say, I have no idea how yeah. long she knows right away. Yeah. So eight years, pretty consistent. That's and so cool. that body part has been great. And then the similar health challenges that I found led me to, of course, research led me to find this, this trainer. Research led me to find uh, maybe why was I feeling certain things health-wise that allowed me to take some maybe some unique, unique holistic ways of changing health through, through diet. 
And so that has become maybe more than a habit, become a little bit of a ritual or maybe a slight obs obsession, <laughs> lifestyle, way yeah. of life is probably a yeah. nicer way of putting it. And then Kim has uh, followed that yeah. as well and seen the benefits on me, seen the benefits on her. And so then when you're successful on things and things are working, you try to do more of it, or at least we, we or I tend to do. So it's a, those maybe, two great maybe examples. Those are habits. Yeah, they are. They sure are. So as far as kryptonite goes. Kryptonite, like an ultimate weakness in either like people, relationships, activities. over analysis paralysis. He takes friend. a long time, any researches, any researches, any researches. And I think that's one of the biggest things about bringing in this investor is being able to move things along that have been slow because of him wanting to make the right decisions, but it tends to slow him down. I think that's... Uh, what about you? You have any kryptonite? Yes. Um, I think my biggest thing is the, whereas, again, raised to treat people the way I want to be treated and the respect factor, I have a very high expectation for other individuals that I don't understand why they don't show the same respect for other people. Um, as Chad's dad used to say, you know, things like common sense is not that common. Right. I feel the same way when it comes to common courtesy. Mm -hmm. I do too. So for me, that's probably my biggest kryptonite is I can't grasp why someone is just very, it's not as respectful to others as I try to be. Yeah, I, I, uh, I completely agree with that. That must be, I hadn't thought of it until you said this, but that's kryptonite for me too. I think I call it a, uh, an iceberg, meaning a little bit is above the surface, but that must be very deep below the surface is that I really, I get disproportionately angry at people who are being, I think, inconsiderate or rude or disrespectful. Like, I feel like I, I'm happy to agree or disagree with anybody. That doesn't trouble me at all. Mm -hmm. But the, the, when someone's inconsiderate, it, uh, I, they get a disproportionate response from me, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's me. That is what, definitely what happens. And then, then there's Chad being the coach and partner, say, there's your expectations again. You can't control these people and their background and, yeah. hey, this driving. It's disappointing. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe yeah. they're having, you don't know why this happened. Yeah. <laughs> Try so not I, to let it influence you and make your day bad for someone else's thing that happens that you can't control. Yeah. So let me say this then. So this whole pandemic, I have to say the silver lining to me is that I am seeing people actually be a lot more considerate and conscious of their personal space and those around them, whether we're all waiting in line to get into a store or just being out on the road. I think the fact there's less cars out there is a nice thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not finding the, um, the rage <laughs> that I normally experience from people being so rude and thoughtless. It's, uh, that's my silver lining to the well, whole time. That's very good. Yeah. It's interesting how people yeah. are a little bit more heightened are being more intentional about what they're doing yes. because there's like a common purpose and goal. Mm -hmm. It's bringing people together with a common mission versus all the, the fragmented of individual ideas and self-centeredness, which humans tend to be. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, I'm no expert on this, but theoretically this virus, I mean, you could argue that everyone in the world can be affected in the same way. 
infected and affected in the same way. Exactly. Right? And there's no like bad person on the other side of that. Can't blame. There's no one there's else no to blame, blame, right? There's no right. good guy and bad guy. Right. Right. It has troubled me to tell you the truth that some people, you know, I haven't watched television in 25 years, but there's one here in the lobby that I watch every once in a while that I go by. And uh, it does trouble me when people sort of are criticizing, oh, our country didn't do this fast enough, we didn't do this fast enough, China did this badly. And I think to myself, I don't know about you, but we've only known about this for 90 days. A lot so of like, things pointing, right? A lot happened in 90 days in all countries. Yep. Right. So from, let's focus on here and now and, and going, and going forward, forward. Yeah. and spend less time blaming weird for stuff that we had no control over. Weird, isn't weird. it? It's, it's the, the difference of, uh, of people, the ones that are looking for someone else to do something for them. Yeah. They didn't do this or they didn't do that. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> doesn't it start with you and it's always an N of one? So look, you, you guys, people listening to this are going to think that you two are two super successful entrepreneurs and life partners and business partners, if you were going to give advice to, uh, well, let's say somebody in college, a college student, who wanted to be an entrepreneur, who they hear this and they go, wow, I want to be like them, what advice would you give them? Oh, boy. I think for me the biggest advice I'd give would be, you know, whether or not they have a partner in the business, whether it's a combination partner in life or business partner. Um, for me, I think one of the biggest things I could say is define your roles, define your positions within the company, and respect each other with a separation. It sounds silly, but I think that was one of the biggest things for us. It wasn't like we were both trying to do the same job, and then it was like, well, I thought you were doing it. Well, I thought you were doing it. Oh, yes. well, nobody's doing it. By, by having clear roles, and expectations with one another. Um, it, it helps to help bring balance. It, it's not about finger pointing, but it is really about balance of ownership. And so are you, so are, in a way, are you advocating for having a business partner as opposed to going it alone? You know, I, not necessarily, but to do a business yourself, we've, we know a lot of people who have businesses themselves and we yeah. see how they struggle. Yeah. Um, so I guess it would be if you don't necessarily have a business partner, you need a good staff, employees or what have you, because I don't know whether a really successful person can really do it all themselves. So, um, you know, whether it's a partner or, or employees, you just have to surround yourself with solid people. So the, the two of you, though, have been doing this together for a long time. How did you keep um, every night's dinner from being a board meeting? We didn't. It, a lot of times, we, despite the fact that we worked together, we weren't together all day. Yes. So really it was he handled his responsibilities, I handled mine. Yes. And actually at dinner, it was a time for us to say, hey, I did this, or hey, I have questions on that. So we didn't view it as really taking work home. It was us talking about our day, but certain things we needed to bounce off each other as, yeah. as your job, my job, yeah. and things that we brought together as uh, our company, uh, as a partnership. So I don't think... You have any raging disagreements over the past 20 years about the business? Any particularly notable ones? No, no. I think uh, probably the, the biggest thing is just 
some of the stuff taking as long as what it took. But hey, it really eight years went. ago, buddy. Well, yeah, there's that. But that, <laughs> that was the reminder. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Pete. Pete. <laughs> yeah. He's in trouble now. No, um, believe it or not, I think we respected each other enough where we disagreed. Yeah. There were things we did disagree strongly on, but it was really about what was best for the company and not, um, you know, one person feeling the other person was dictating. Um, so we were very fortunate about that. How about you, Chad? Do you have any advice for that college student listening to this who says, God, I'd like to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, first, um, on, on the partnership side, I think I would advise against that, especially today with all the technology tools. I think what Kim was mentioning, or she meant about partners, is more to do with the team that you build around. But having too many structural financial partners, I think, is more of a challenge uh, than, it, than it's worth. Right. The, and then advice, what I, what I look at and see, it's why do you want to do it and what do you want to do? more so than how do you think it should be done. Right. So I see circumstantially some, I don't get out that much, but some people that want to be entrepreneurs, I want to be a unicorn, I want to be a billionaire. When it starts about being money, it's fail. Right. I don't, I don't know how many people could start with the end wanting to be money and be successful. I find that pretty hard to believe. I do too. So it's more about what you want to do and why you want to do it and to figure out the how, and then I'm, I'm starting to learn the who's that can help get there through advisors, and technology, I think, is now also a who. So it's really, but it's the, the passion of why, why you want to do something, first of all. Right. And then answering that, then it's the how's and who's to get there. And it's uh, someone both you and I follow and watch. If a billion people have a problem, right then that's a big opportunity. Yeah. So if you can solve a billion people's problems, you don't even have to dream that big yeah. if you want to start for your first success to prove out your methodology and how you want to operate. Just what is a problem that you're passionate about trying to solve? And if you have a unique way of solving it, well, guess what? You're an entrepreneur and you actually have, first it starts off with an idea and maybe it's a quick hobby to test it and then it turns into a business and you got to prove it to yourself and try to fail quickly if you're going to fail. So that, I failed at. With the technology, it took me so long to figure out. The vision was there, and it was right. But how or who to help actually fulfill that vision with, with me being such an introvert and looking inward for the answer instead of outward because there's a whole... The, it's not about a lack of information these days. Especially now. Anything. Yeah. yeah you want to know it's just about asking the right question finding the right data and right resources and then making it happen so you're both pretty young and today is april 19th 2020 it's the 19th again it is february 19th april 19th two months and uh let's pretend we go to sleep tonight and we wake up tomorrow and magically it's April 20th, 2030. So I'm not asking you to stand here in 2020 and look ahead and say, what if? I'm saying it is 2030. 
and we're having a cup of coffee together, and you guys go, Pete, remember that day back in 2020 where we did the private, a Positive Enterprise Value podcast interview? Yeah, and you won't believe it. We've had the best 10 years in our lives, personally and professionally. I said, really? Tell me what happened. What happened? All right, well, we completely sold out of the company. Uh, we spend our days luxuriating on a beach where we go back and forth between daily massages, manis and petties. Uh, oh, we'll get some exercise in there too, okay, honey. Okay, come on. Yeah, we'll get some exercise. Uh, yeah, that would last not very long. No, it wouldn't. Because the active minds are going to want a, a greater purpose. Than... It, it'll be more like, hey, Pete, while we were on this fantastic trip, somewhere right oh man we met this great person and they had this great idea and you know what we kept in touch with them and we actually working with them on this and while we were at it we met a few other people and we got involved in this oh man there was this opportunity over here I think that's kind of where you will see see us isn't that cool so I think what you just said was really it's elevating the stream of opportunities and elevating the people that you want to be able to access and work with. Yes. The brain power, the technology, maybe the geography, to set free on those things. Exactly, and but all to be in a manner of not sitting there and in a structured environment, right. but literally, yes, we met this great person, and while right. we were doing that, we met this one, and right. oh my, we couldn't believe this, and yeah. oh man, we helped with this farmer's market in town, and it's been 10 years, and it's fantastic, and yeah. those are, that's where I see us. That's great. What we learned through this whole process is we're more unique than we thought about actually having capabilities and be able to actually execute something all the way through that was just us doing what we thought was right and with the blinders on heads down so much, we didn't know that so many people fail at trying to do what we were actually doing and for us was seemed relatively easy and just the right thing to do. Look, the, the U.S. government, which is not an authority that any of us, but they say that the Small Business Administration says 50% of all businesses fail before their fifth year. And so I'm just here to tell you, having dealt with thousands of successful entrepreneurs and worked personally with hundreds, that you guys created a, an enterprise that isn't like the top 10%. It's not the top 1%. It's the top less than one-tenth of 1% in terms of its success and its achievements. Huge in terms of what you've done. So I'm just like completely psyched to see what the next chapter is. It's so crazy. are we. So you say that and we still, to this day, moment after the transaction, there's still so much more even in that little business That's to make great. it so much better yeah. that there's still a bunch of passion there that I still have to solve that vision because I know solving that is so transferable to many other things as well as hopefully, I'm not gonna get distracted by all these other shiny objects and try to be helping too much. It's definitely gonna have to learn to say some no's and be selective. But a network of either other successful or they need to be successful, just capable people. Mm. And finding people that have either similar passions or just see similar things that similar way. Yeah. And think we can bet on with capital if that happens to be, but I think most successful businesses don't really need capital. I think they probably need more of the, the advice or inspiration. 
inspiration, passion, stick to grit. So it's how do you identify those people right. at a younger age that maybe answer the why and a little bit of how they want to do things and help that actually happen. So it's all sorts of incubators and people doing some real cool things in those areas. So before, first stay heads down, finish some of these uh, things that we've got on our plate, but then guess what? It's back to research and the drawing board and learning how those situations are working, how they're not, and how we may or may not fit in to be able to learn and contribute in something that we find uh, stimulating to help with. Okay, so last question. You ready? So last question is... Um, shoes. I plan on buying lots of shoes. In this um, group of listeners among uh, entrepreneur owner managers, as we said, some of them are for-profit, some of them are not-for-profit. They might want shoes too. Uh, they, I would say, among them, superior achievement is pretty common uh, in their niche. But not all of them would describe themselves as fulfilled or content as people. Would you describe yourselves as content? Yes, I would. I think uh, for me, the the whole uh, is sitting next to me. So the fact that my partner in life is the person that I enjoy being with over everybody else, which is, I think, added to us being able to work together for so many years. We enjoy traveling, we enjoy experiencing new things, and we also enjoy sitting on the couch and watching a program together. Um, so ideally, I am content with my life. That's not to say there's not so much more that I can learn and sure. experience, Sure. but with my partner, I'm happy. We're so fortunate in so many ways that our partnership and the business, people, I, some people look at us in uh, I don't know, all sorts of different adjectives, but on the scale. We make some people sick, like, man, how do they work together? And they still look like they like each other, and they're so successful with the business, and make it look easy. And then, uh, oh well. So from that aspect, the contentment is there, but the, the fire is also still there, and seeking and learning why we like traveling is learning because all sorts of and learning through food to learn people's culture because it's it's not some uh, fluffy social thing it's something to talk about and focus on more for me the technical aspects sure but it's the the technical aspects of actually the cooking but it's flat without the the passion that goes with it and usually the culture that comes behind it and where it came from and you put that all together in a pot and some magic comes out. And whether that be cooking food or building a business or what it might be, it's that same looking out for people that are exceptionally passionate in whatever it is. And those people are the ones that are successful in whatever it is. So being around more people like that is contagious and just learning. We might not either agree, but we can certainly respect and say, wow, they really love that and are really good at it. Maybe it doesn't resonate with me, but 
it's still spectacular and inspiring to, to watch and learn about it and then maybe move on to, to, to something else. So, so could I say fulfilled, yes, content, yes, not done learning? Yes, yes, and yes. That's great. Thanks for the summary. <laughs> well, I want to thank the both of you for, for t spending time with me and speaking so candidly and honestly about your journey. I've loved being on the journey with you. And... Uh, I've loved all of our work together, and I particularly like the fact that, that we've been able to become friends. So thank you. Thank you. It's mutual.